listener exclusive. From the Penguin Parade at Phillip Island to that new building development in the middle of Warrigal, this is Talking Gippsland with Ed Cowlishaw. Welcome to another episode of Talking Gippsland. I'm Ed Cowlishaw. Today we go on a journey with a sculptor, someone that loves working with steel and metal and moulding it into something that can transfix and take you on a journey through art. But Jim Belsa's story starts in traumatic fashion, growing up in the missions of Queensland and witnessing unspeakable trauma that happened to the stolen generation. Today, Jen speaks on what inspired her artwork, her love of family, and where to now for her works here in Gippsland. So nestle in to a chat with Jen Belsa, another wonderful local voice featuring on Talking Gippsland. Jennifer, nice to catch up with you today in your humble abode in beautiful Currumburra. Let's start on, I guess, your journey as an artist or as a sculptor. There's always a moment in time where you find as though you're connected to the art world, whether it be drawing for the first time or where maybe you create something out of plasticine or clay or something along those lines there. But you love your metal. You love, you love your creativity there with welding. And th- but let's go back to your childhood. What led you down the path of being an artist or a sculptor? Uh, it was always there. So I grew up as a little girl in the church. My family was very religious. And um, I used to while away the hours in church, sitting on the floor with a colouring book. Actually, correct that, it wasn't a colouring book, it was a drawing book. And so I used to just spend hours on a Sunday and then weekdays as well, if we were sort of dragged out to church, um, on the floor just with colouring pencils and and drawing books. So it was always there. It was always my escape. It was always my best friend. You know, I just loved drawing. I don't know why. I just loved drawing, making things, putting things together, colouring. I loved... I had a real thing for colour. Always loved colour, which is funny that I work with steel because it's actually... But for me, I find this... um, there's so many shades of metals. There's just little, you know, little nuances and things. And um, and I guess I love shape as well. So steel for me is really about working with shape. I can't remember a defining moment. It was always there and always something that I just... As soon as I'd finished my jobs at home, you know, or finished whatever I was doing, it would be straight into the, the colouring pencils and the drawing book. When you were growing up, uh, I know you grew up uh, with Indigenous Australians mm-hmm. and the stories there and, and, as you mentioned, the church was pretty prolific during that time. Growing up in that era, it was different and we're still trying to get out of it in a lot of ways. It yeah. was probably more traumatic than inspiring. Right, OK. Um, so I spent about a year in an orphanage yeah. And that was in Mount Gravatt in Brisbane. So the orphanage was called Opal Home and it was a hotel that was converted into an orphanage. And uh, I'm sort of guessing at numbers because I was only young, but I'd say there was probably about 50 or 60 children there. And they'd been taken from their Indigenous families and they were living in the orphanage. So art for me there was more of an escape from reality. Like what I saw even as a young child was quite disturbing because to me they were just kids. I was a kid and they were kids. But I saw the way they were treated was very, very different to the way I was treated. And there was a lot of, yeah, look, there was a lot of abuse that went on 
it was was not nice. So for me, um, art was an escape. It was a way of removing myself from all that and just putting my mind in a different place where I could have my own little world, and yeah, not and not be a part of that, not yeah. have to think too much about it. How have you been going about this and going? Well, could I have done this better? Do you start thinking like that? But but you're only a child. Yeah, no, I didn't think sort of how could I have done anything better. Yeah. There's there's a level to me that sits quite low down that if you stir it up, it'll come up, yeah. and I'm very angry about it still. Yeah. Um, and I'm probably I'm not angry about what happened to me because I still I look at it now and I think, look, my parents were doing what they thought was best. They all the the politicians were behind it. You know, our government was behind mm. these policies. Um, and there was just no, there was no humanity to it. It was like, you need to live like us and you need to change. So um, there's a, yeah, there's a, there's a deep level of anger that sits there um, about, around what I've seen. And if it comes up, I'll certainly talk about it and speak my mind because a lot of people, I guess, deny what happened. Um, or say it wasn't really like that or it wasn't that bad. And... Um, it was a lot worse. You know, there's things that I saw that I just couldn't say on radio. Just, yeah. um, I, when my kids were little, I took them to Sorry Day. They were just little. I've got four daughters and we went along to Sorry Day. And I said, all right, girls, we're going to Sorry Day. <laughs> and I said, it's not that you've done anything or I've done anything, but we just need to acknowledge that this has happened. And I'm... I know I'm not responsible, but I'm really sorry that it happened and I'm sorry that my ancestors were a part of it. So it it becomes part of the fabric of who you are and I guess part of that was um, eight years ago I adopted an asylum seeker from Afghanistan. So that's probably part of all of that. (laughs) You're not aware that it's part of your character, but it is, you know, so... Um, and maybe not consciously, but maybe that was my way of trying to make things a little bit better in the world after what I'd seen, you know, I couldn't go back and repair what I'd seen as a child or do anything about that, but I could make it better for these asylum seekers. I had a couple of them come and live with me actually, um, over the years that I met by accident in Terelgan. They're in community detention in Terelgan. Right. And, um... I was living in Ballara and met the kids and then I moved to Melbourne and a couple of them came and, and stayed with me when they got out of detention. And then one just hang around, hung around. <laughs> he, he, so, yeah, I unofficially adopted him and he calls me mum. So, yeah, it is. It's part of the fabric yeah. of who you are and how you see the world. I think as we grow up, we want to do better than the next, the generation before us or, or heal whatever wounds or trauma there are behind that. And, and I, can, I can feel it, I can see it in your eyes about witnessing what you, from Indigenous Australians who you're surrounded by, who are kids just like you at that time. Yeah. But then to give back in some way, some shape, some form to asylum seekers that are seeking refuge from a war-torn country or from hell hell on earth. Um, it's the human race that we talk yeah, about here. Yeah, we're all human. And I think, look, I mean, growing up in white Australia with all these policies and, and if people were 
they're segregated, yeah. you know. And I know, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, <clears throat> there was a real segregation in terms of the way people spoke about other races and the names they gave other races. And and so you could almost demonise other people because you didn't know them and you didn't know where they were from and you could dehumanise them, you know. I think that's what war's all about. Yeah. Um, we dehumanise another culture and we can make them bad. So, and I think the internet's connected us, things like the internet and Airbnb and things like that. We've, you know, I had people staying in my home in, in Melbourne through Airbnb and we had a great time and you just meet so many people from so many cultures and you, they just, you realise they're just like you. And, but not only that, they're so interesting. Yeah. You know, I find people fascinating yeah. and they have these beautiful stories and and I go down to Melbourne where a lot of the Afghans that I know, my son and his friends, and they sort of have group cultures down there. And I get to sit around on the floor with them all and we eat out of this, you know, they have it like a central um, plate with the yep. food and they eat it with the, their bread and we sit around with cross legs. And so I get to experience these beautiful cultural things in my own country because of these people that have brought these cultures to our country and and I really feel really privileged to be a part of that. Being part of a yarning circle is something that's really special. I think embracing the different cultures in our country is, is so important and, and you've been at the grassroots of that right from the beginning and, and it's played a part in your life all the way through and then you're telling stories through your art. So Mount Gravatt, Queensland, based up there, travelling around with your parents and then you end up in Gippsland and uh, doing your high school years out in Taralgon. Uh, I mean, it's a bit of a journey uh, for a youngster coming through the ranks and going through schools and things like yeah, that. Yeah. Tell us about your time in old Taralgon and the high school years yeah. and, and this is where you start thinking, <laughs> what am I going to do with my life? Oh, yeah, I just have to apologise to all my teachers at Taralgon High School, <laughs> especially Mr Drought who was always changing me from different forms to another form to try to get me to settle down. Um, probably where a lot of the art comes from, I was an undiagnosed ADHD child without a doubt. Could not sit still for five seconds and spent probably, I don't know, 50% of my high school years at Terrelgan High School in lunchtime detention because I just could not sit still. Um, and maybe that, you know, if I was playing sport, if I was doing PE or if I was in the art room, I was fine. But if I was sitting at a desk, it was horrendous. So, and I guess, again, it sort of forced me into that genre where I was using my hands. I was t if I was using my hands and moving my body, I was happy. Yeah. If I was sitting at a desk, I was in trouble. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I guess it continued to forge <laughs> forge that side of, of who I was. Yeah, and it's interesting, like, I probably like most kids that are um, into the arts. Well, back then anyway, it's not really encouraged because, well, you can't make a living out of that, can mm. you? So... Um, but it never leaves you. So I sort of just went and got um, normal jobs like everybody else and tried to fit in, but then just kept not being able to fit in. You know, the, the art just kept pulling me back. And How did you go with that, though? Because, I mean, that's, that's the thing. We're all told I'm an arts humanities student mm -hmm. 
um, you are yourself and it's all about the sciences and maths and doctors and lawyers and get your marks to go down that track and away you go and the creators out there uh, get pushed into a corner and going, well, you're not going to make money out of it, so don't do it. But how did you find that? Stuck in the rat race and then all of a sudden that calling is going, no, hang on, I've got to do something for me. Yeah, I guess you become entrepreneurial. I mean, and when you talk about me being working with steel and being a sculptor, yeah. um, I have done everything. Like I was, I've done a painter and I've done mosaics, um, a lot of crafts. I just put my hand to all the arts. The, the teaching really attracted me because I love people. I love working with people and I get a buzz out of seeing people learn. Like I get it just as excited seeing them learn how to do something artistic as when I'm doing it. Um, actually, one of my students said to the, me the other day, she said, don't you get bored watching us do this and you can't do it? I go, I, can go, I actually really love it. So teaching um, was a great um, career, has been a great career move for me because I um, can teach people art. I can teach, well, now it's just I teach women carpentry and welding yeah. um, in the men's sheds. Um, both here and in the city. Somebody said to me one day, why did you settle with steel? Why did steel become your thing? And I think it's because I'm a gardener. I grew up, my grandparents had a nursery and I grew up in the nursery there, you know, when we weren't travelling around the country. Um, And I just grew up with a love of plants. And so for me, steel is something that I can combine. The sculptures can go into the garden or I can create seats and... I can create arbors and um, really whatever I can imagine in my mind, I can create in the garden. Um, like I said to you before, I've just bought myself a big stainless steel vat that's going yeah. to turn into a plunge yeah. pool. Um, so I feel like with the sculpting, I it's 3D. I can sit in it and I can walk through it and or I can swim in it or I can hang from it. Or if you see my letterbox out the front there, you know, the postie can put the mail in it. Um, so it's something that I can, it's art that I can live in. And and that's what I love about steel. And steel is very forgiving. Um, if I get it wrong, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'll just weld a length on. So I find steel, it's forgiving and it's, it, it, um, it works. I can work a lot faster with it. I can get things done. I can see the passion in your voice <laughs> when you're talking about it as well. Uh, Jennifer Bels has joined us on the Talking Gippsland. We're here at a, a beautiful home uh, and studio and uh, she's a wonderful sculptor and we're talking about her passion really for, for art in a lot of way and, and educating others as well uh, when it comes to the arts. Um, that moment, the, the rat race, and you spoke about the businesses and, and falling in love with it, I think the other thing that you were just touching on there with steel is that mm. if you make a mistake, well, it can take you in another direction. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle with creatives is that you could go in a different direction any old time. And I think when it comes to sculpting, you might have a plan in your head and you can write it down and have a theory on where you're going to go and what you want it to turn out like. But as you said, that mistake can take you on another journey. Oh, and amazing. And that must yeah. be something because you have been on a wonderful journey throughout your life. Yeah. And I get the feeling that mimics your work as well, does it? I've never thought of it that way, but um, I guess... I am a dreamer um, and the other reason I struggled at school 
as if I wasn't wiggling. I was spaced out. Yeah. I was dreaming and I was... Um, I just remember making my eyes go blurry and look at the carpet and if I'd made them blurry enough, then the carpet looked like paddocks and streams and I could imagine just flying. So I was always up in here making something that I, you know, imagining something and making something. And, and I think that's the nice thing about, I've enjoyed about getting to my age in my 50s because I feel like all the time before that was just a learning experience and I was trying this and trying that and trying this bit of art and trying that but something happens well to me anyway turning 50 I just went I know who I am now I know who I am and I know what I want to do and I know what I'm good at and I have the skills to do it and I still have a head full of imaginings Mm. and, and all these creative ideas and look I have to say I was very very lucky in my life has been full of luck it really I've just been very very fortunate in uh, everything that I've been through I've just had some really lucky things happen to me and uh, we went through the 2009 bushfires in Delburn Um, so um, which was another really horrible interesting (laughs) experience fighting a bushfire Um, but after that I had a, a job with the Salvation Army and they had bushfire funds to spend in communities that had been affected by the fires, the 2009 fires. The region that I, that was mine was Jindavik. Yeah. And I was just driving around, like a bit like you just talking to people, you know, how can we help, how can we support your community and just looking for some great community um, projects that we could fund and I came across Laurie Collins and he's got a sculpture garden there in Jindavik and the Red Tree Gallery there. And I saw all these metal sculptures. So that was my first introduction to steel, really. Right. And I stopped and went in and had a chat to Laurie. And Laurie was just, just so inspiring. And it was like paradise. <laughs> was just mounds and mounds of steel and junk and he was just in there having a great old time welding and so we made friends and he said to me look if you ever want to learn to weld um come and I'll teach you and the generosity of Laurie just changed my life so I used to drive up to Jindavig one or two days a week and I did this I don't know for about 18 months And I'd drive up and spend the day with Laurie. And that was life-changing because I wasn't just welding. I was going through a bit of a life change. I'd come out of a divorce. And Laurie was like, I called him my fairy godfather. Yeah. So we'd weld and then we'd sit out on his deck and his beautiful property in Jindavik. And Laurie would just teach me all about life, you know, and this is how life is. And because Laurie's retired, he was a retired, I think he was a Druin school teacher. Yeah. Um, and he'd just say, Jen, this is how it is. And he'd tell me all about it. And oh, I just loved, I loved the welding and I loved being with Laurie and I loved the conversations. Um, yeah, that was where I, I just grew my love of steel. And Laurie used to say to me, he used to say, there's not, enough, there's not enough years in a lifetime to do all the things that you'll imagine. And I said, you're right. And he had these, all these piles of junk. And he said, oh, I just need people here to help me get through this. I'm not going to get through this before <laughs> I die. And um, 
And I was just so lucky to have met him. Have you found that the clarity and the clear air is helping you or or are there still these moments where you go, well, you know, I've still got to worry about the kids, the mortgage and all that sort of stuff? Or do you feel as though, no, art's taking me somewhere really special at the moment? Life is life. You're always going to have struggles. There's always going to be a bit of trouble, yeah? Um, But I think overall... Um, it's good. I think it's your perspective on it. If you, if you, there's no place in your heart for hate. There isn't, there really isn't. Like, if you want to carry those emotions, they're going to, that's what destroys you is your own, your own emotions, your own carrying anger and hate and, and hurt. So for me, Obviously, those emotions come up in life. They're there and things challenge you. Um, And art is the way to relieve that for me. It's to go into that space and go, all right, Jen, let's process this. Let's have a think about this. And let's just get back to our default position, which is just... um, It's becoming more and more joyful as I get older. You know, it's just lovely. And you realise, I think... When you're young, you're worried about things working out and you get old and you go, what? Everything works out. Everything always works out. There's always someone there to help or a situation or, you know, a friend to make or that will lead you on a different path. And, And when I look back over my life, I'm like everything worked out. You never needed to worry once. And there were some really hard times, but they made you, they taught you and they made you who you are. Um, but it's interesting, it, it's, it's almost like you've got to come back to yourself mm. because when people say to me, talking about kids, you know, because I've got the four daughters and, and well, how do, you know, how do you know what their pathway is or how do you know what they're good at or what they should follow? And I, was, and I look at my girls now and I go, it was always there. It was there when they were little. That one was interested in that and that one was interested in that. And, and then they go through this whole thing where, you know, culture, they try to fit into the culture yeah. and try to study this or study that, or that. And they go back and they do what they did when they were really small and become good at it. And, and my life is the same, like just going through all these different things and going through businesses and, and, and jobs and all this and coming back and going, oh, my God, this, I'm just back to where I started here. Um, and that's the essence of who I am. I, I'm creating and I'm, I'm drawing with steel. Um, and, um, yeah, my, yeah my, my palette is a little bit different. It's not colouring pencils anymore. Um, but it's still the same thing. So it, that's the challenge, I think, because when you find that, there's just, it's just such a joy. Jennifer, I appreciate your time today, um, letting me into your studio and your house and, and your safe space So when it comes to your art and your creative space as well. It's been great to talk to you, hear your journey and your wonderful passion for sculpting and uh, your passion for steel. Thanks for being part of Talking Gippsland. You're welcome. Thank you for asking about my story. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of Talking Gippsland with Jen Belser. In our next episode of Talking Gippsland, we catch up with Andrew Gallagher from the Gippsland Vehicle Collection and talk about his passion for motor vehicles, old and new. Join us as we go down memory lane with some vehicles of a bygone era here on Talking Gippsland. A listener production.